0: Welcome to the Rick Reed sermon podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Back in 1986, a movie was released entitled The Mission. The story is set high in the rainforests rainforest of South America. And one of the lead figures in the story is a, is a man by the name of Rodrigo Mendoza. Mendoza is a former military Spanish military officer, and he had become a slave trader. He was a volatile and violent man. In fact, at one point, early on in the movie, the woman that he loves chooses his younger brother over him, and he flies into a fit of rage and he kills his brother. Well, killing his brother almost kills him. Just the weight of the condemnation and guilt that he feels makes him consider taking his own life. And in his despair, what he does is he turns, he turns to a mission. One of the Spanish missions set up by the Jesuits there in the rainforests of South America. And he turns to the mission and he, and he tries to turn over a new leaf and a new life. He tries to take on orders and somehow atone for his past. He tries to lose some of his luggage. Now I know that uh, those of us gathered here don't quite have the story of, Red, of Rodrigo Mendoza. Um, we've not been slave traders and not been murderers. But you know, we do have something in common with him, don't we? And that we too know what it's like to have some baggage that we carry that we would love to lose. Many of us here know what it's like to live under a crushing sense of condemnation, guilt for choices that we made, things that we've done. And that guilt and that condemnation doesn't easily go away. And we are dying to lose some of that luggage. Well, if that's your desire this morning, you've come to the right place. Because here at the Met on Sunday mornings, we've just begun a series called Losing Your Luggage. In the coming weeks, we're going to work our way to the eighth chapter in the book of Romans. We're going to learn how to lose some of that luggage and how to find freedom in Christ. Romans chapter 8 was written by a man named the Apostle Paul. Paul would tell you if you he were here that he was a lot worse than Rodrigo Mendoza. Paul describes himself in some of his New Testament epistles, he describes himself as a blasphemer, as a violent man. In Romans 7, he calls himself a wretched man. In one of his later epistles, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He's saying, I'm the worst sinner there ever has been. So Paul knew all about having baggage, and he knew all about the condemnation that comes with our sinful baggage. But get this, Paul knew something else. He knew how you lose your luggage. The Apostle Paul knew how to find freedom in Christ. And in Romans chapter 8, he tells us how it's done. In Romans chapter 8, he tells us how to lose sinful luggage. Well, that's where we're headed over the coming weeks. If you were with us last week, you might recall that we actually began this series by asking you to do a baggage check. You know how when you... uh, are about to go on a, a trip traveling somewhere, you have to do a baggage check, right? You have to check your bags. And what I asked you to do last week was to do an honest appraisal of the baggage you are carrying with you at this stage in your life. What's the sinful baggage that you're toting around, that you've been carrying for far too long? What luggage would you like to lose? Well, I hope you did the baggage check. I hope that this week was a time of some honest reflection and Asking God to kind of make some things plain, because today we're going to start talking about how to lose that luggage. And what we're going to see today is that if you want to lose your luggage, the first step towards freedom is actually a stop at the cross. The very first step towards freedom is coming to grips with an amazing truth that is so stunning that it seems too good to be true. Today we're going to see something that literally seems too good to be true. And yet today we're going to see a truth that if you embrace it, if you hang on to it by faith, it will take some of the weight off your soul and it will let you travel lighter. This morning we're going to learn that in Christ there is no condemnation. No condemnation. No kidding. That's what we're going to see today. There is no condemnation in Christ. And we're going to see that by looking at uh, the first part of Romans 8, which, which rings out with this triumphant verse that reminds us of a, a truth that we're going to hang on to that will help us lose some luggage. So would you take your Bibles, please, or grab one of the ones that are in front of you there, one of the blue Bibles, page 800 in the blue Bibles, and join me in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Today we'll be focused on verses 1 to 4. I want to talk about losing our luggage by coming to grips with that. Really, no kidding, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at the passage together. Father, this morning, I, I'm thankful that we can open up your word. Lord, I stand probably with my brothers and sisters who say, I just need to hear this truth again. I need to be reminded of what you say in your word. And Lord, I, like others, need to hang on to this by faith today to say if you said it, then it's true, and we can appropriate it, take it to ourselves. So by your Spirit, Lord, over these next few minutes, use your word in our lives so that we start to lose some of the luggage that we've carried for far too long. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just to give you the feel of how Romans 8 verse 1 stands out like a bright light in a dark landscape. Let me begin back in chapter 7, verse 21. We looked at this last week, but just kind of get the flow, get the feel of chapter 7, and then watch what happens when we turn the corner into chapter 8. Romans chapter 7, verse 21, Paul says this, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law, at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner, a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, isn't that a mood shift? Chapter 7, there he's just kind of groveling on and saying, man, I am a wretched person. I am stuck. I'm a prisoner to sin. And then chapter 8 somehow breaks through this powerful verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In that verse, Paul tells you something that you got to know, and you have to hang on to this with all your heart. It's simply this. You are free from God's condemnation if you are in Christ. That's what he's saying in chapter 8, verse 1. You are free from God's condemnation if you are in Christ. The condemnation of God is a thing of the past for you if you are in Christ. Listen to it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How much condemnation is there for those who are in Christ? There is none, right? There is none. There is no condemnation. Now, what makes that so stunning is that all of us start out our life and begin life under God's full condemnation. Did you know that? Did you know that every single person who's ever lived Begins life, kind of moves through life, as beautiful of a little baby as they are. Grow up to be a little toddler, moving towards growing up. Everybody begins their life living under the condemnation of God. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I know that because the Apostle Paul makes that very clear in the opening three chapters of this very book of Romans. If you were to read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, you see that Paul shreds the notion that anybody has a good standing with God on their own. Man, he just destroys that. Chapter 1, he says, secular people, secular people are under God's condemnation. And we go, well, yeah, maybe so. Those people don't want God in their life. And yeah, yeah, you know, they're doing all these horrible things. And so, yeah, I suppose they're under God's condemnation. But then chapter 2, he goes on and he says, hey, moral people are under God's condemnation. Moral people, the good people. The kind of people you would want for your neighbor. Just that reliable, friendly, helpful person. He says a moral person is under the condemnation of God. We swallow a little harder with that one. And then he comes to chapter 3 and he goes, and get this, religious people are under God's condemnation. Religious people, kind of the people that are trying to keep the laws, doing it God's way. He says all of them are under God's condemnation. In fact, chapter 3, verse 10, he sums it all up, but he says, therefore there is not one person who is righteous, not even one. So that means that everybody is under God's condemnation. Now let me make that a little more personal. That means that you, at some point in your life, and perhaps even still today, but certainly at some point in your life, you were under the full condemnation of God. You see, your sinful nature and your sinful choices set you at odds with a God who is perfect and holy. So you are under God's condemnation. Now, I want to be careful with this, but I want you to think with me, what word is linked to condemnation? What's the word that we think of when you hear condemnation? Right? It's the word damnation, right? In other words, when we say you're under God's condemnation, it means that you stand condemned before God, You stand ready to be damned by God. And that is a serious thing. I know that people in our age throw that epitaph out like it means nothing. That is the most horrific thing that could ever happen to somebody. To be damned by God. To be banished forever in a place that Jesus called Gehenna or hell. Jesus said it would be a place of conscious, eternal torment. That's being condemned by God. Now what's amazing... When you let that sink in, and you feel the weight of that, like you're going to someday stand before God and be condemned because you have not lived up to his holy standard. No matter how good you've been, how religious you've been, you've not made it to perfection. So you stand condemned. When you feel the weight of that, then you're ready to hear the sweetness of Romans 8.1. Listen to it. Listen to it again, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Man, something has changed, right? God's verdict about you has changed. You've gone from being judged by God to being justified by God. You've gone from complete condemnation to no condemnation. Man, isn't that a sweet thing? The Apostle Paul is saying, and he's wanting you to get this, Though you deserve the damnation of God, there is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. By the way, that's something you want to hang on to because even though God will not condemn you, you live in this world, other people will, right? When it says there's no condemnation, it's saying there's no condemnation from God. That doesn't mean there won't be condemnation from others. I know that because a little later in the chapter, look at verse 33. Paul speaks to the fact that other people may still condemn us. Look at verse 33, if you will, please. It says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? The implication is there's a lineup of people who are condemning, condemning us. Now, why don't you make your own little list? Who are some of the folks that could condemn you? Who could stand in condemnation of you? You might think, well, there's a whole line of people. Man, they can take a number and, uh, you know, wait their turn. If you start thinking of who are the possible people that could condemn you, what's, the, what's on your list? Well, you would be on your list, right? Don't you sometimes condemn yourself? Your own heart speaks to you and reminds you of the things where you have screwed up and messed up, and your own heart at times condemns you. Well, then other people will condemn you at times too, Right? They'll point out how you failed, how you sinned against them, how you fell short. Sometimes other people will condemn you. Certainly Satan will condemn you. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of the brothers who accuses them day and night before God. So Satan's going to pile on. He's going to condemn you. And here's the deal. When others condemn you, your own heart, other people, Satan, when they condemn you, sometimes they'll have good reason to do so, won't they? Sometimes they will have truth on their side. But please hear this. They won't have God on their side. Did you hear that? They may have truth on their side, but they won't have God on their side. In other words, there may be truth in their allegations and their accusations, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ from God. See, Paul says that. Look at verse 33 again. He says, It is God who justifies Who is it that condemns? Okay, there may be people who condemn, but God's not one of them. He justifies. So the amazing truth of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is simply this. You are free from the condemnation of God if you are in Christ. Now, I do have to add there is an if in my sentence. Did you catch that? You are free from the condemnation of God if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ. In other words this promise of no condemnation only applies to certain people. It applies to those who are in Christ. By the way it didn't say for those who are in church, right? Doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who are in church. Doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who are in control. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who are incredible. Doesn't say that. It says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, the phrase in Christ is Paul's shorthand. It's shorthand for in union with Christ. So when you hear the little phrase in Christ, think in union with Christ. Paul's talking about being in Christ is an organic union, a unitedness to Christ, a connectedness to Christ. In Christ is in union with Christ. Jesus gave us a wonderful word picture of that when in John 15 he talked about the branch being in the vine. Do you remember that? Jesus said, abide in me like the branch abides in the vine. I grew up in a a wine country in uh, California, Napa Valley. So we would often drive up among the vineyards, and in the fall, boy, they're beautiful. You see all the colors changing. And I would look at those vines, and the ones that had fruit were automatically and invariably connected to the vine, right? The branch had a vital union with the vine. So the life of the vine was flowing into the branch, And if you are in Christ, what it means is that you are connected to Jesus so that the life of Jesus flows into you. See, it's not just a matter of being in church or incredible. No, no, it's being in Christ, connected to him. You say, well, how does a person get connected to Jesus that way? Well, It's very simple. The way you become in Christ is through repentance and faith. Right? You turn from your own sin and stuff. And yourself, and then you trust in Jesus, and you say, Jesus, I need you. I just can't do this life by myself. Thank you for what you did for me. I want you in my life. I trust in you. I don't trust in my own righteousness. I trust in you. The Bible says when you make that kind of a trust transference from yourself to Jesus, you become in Christ. You're a branch grafted into the vine, and once you're in the vine, once you are in Christ, then hear it, you are free from God's condemnation. If you are in Christ. Now, you may be hearing all this and going, you know, this is wonderful, but is it true? I mean, it, this, doesn't it sound a little too good to be true? I mean, God's saying to you, there is no condemnation. I mean, you might believe it a little more if he said, well, there's less condemnation for you if you're in Christ. You know, like, there is, there's like 15% condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, we've got to think there has to be something that God would condemn us. I mean, we've not done this thing right. How can this be true? How can the Bible say to us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Well, Paul gives you the answer in verses 2 and 3. Look at it with me. He starts with the word because. So he's going to give you the reason why he can say this. Look at it. Verse 2, chapter 8. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. Ah, there it is. How can this possibly be true? Here's what he's saying in verses 2 and 3. You are free from God's condemnation. First of all, if you're in Christ. But here, you are free from God's condemnation. Because God condemned your sin at the cross. Here's why God can let you go free. Because he condemned your sin at the cross. You are free because Jesus paid your price. That's what he's saying in verses 2 and 3. You're free from God's condemnation because God already condemned your sin at the cross. You know, verses 2 and 3 are pretty important here. So I want to take them a little bit bite by bite. In verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul gives you two ways to try to get out from the feeling of condemnation. Here's two different ways that people try to get out from under God's condemnation. One way he talks about is the way of the law, okay? Kind of doing it by the law, going through the law. The other way that he talks about is, is the way of the cross, coming to the cross. Two ways to try to get out from under condemnation, and only one of them works. Paul starts off by talking about the way of the law. Look at at it with verse 2. Here's how some people try to get rid of their condemnation before God. They try to do it through the law, but it doesn't work. Look what Paul says, verse 2. He says, Because through Jesus Christ the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Paul's talking here about the law, and by that he means the Old Testament law, right? The Mosaic law. The law that God gave Moses. And Paul is saying, hey, you know, that law actually led to sin and death. Did you see that in verse 2? The law of sin and death. say, well, why does he say that? I thought the law was good. Well, if you go back to chapter 7, verse 11, you'll see. Chapter 7, verse 11 says, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. Here's his point. He says, hey, the law came and said, do this. But sin kind of stirred up in me, and I said, well, I'm not going to do that. And and the law, he said, now became that which sentenced me to death. You didn't keep the law, you got to pay the penalty. So the law led to my death, he says. Now, Paul goes on to say, the problem is not with the law. The problem, Paul says, is with me. Look at verse 14 of chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual. Problem's not with the law, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And now if you go to chapter 8, verse 3, you see what the problem is. He says, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. Here's the problem with the law way. People try to get out from God's condemnation by keeping the law. The problem is none of us keep the law well because we have this thing called the sinful nature, verse 3. Do you remember that from last week, sinful nature? Sinful nature is who you are apart from Christ. Sinful nature is who you are on your own. And the sinful nature is this defiant, self-willed part of you that essentially says to God, go away, I'm going to run life like I want it. And that sinful nature sabotages my attempts to keep the law. And that's why the law is powerless to get me out of God's condemnation, because my sinful nature keeps leading me to break the law. You know how that is? Paul said it in chapter 7, I want to do the right thing, but somehow I keep doing the wrong thing. There's a sinful part of me that keeps gravitating towards the wrong thing. Now, here's the sad and sobering thing. This law way doesn't work to get out from under God's condemnation. But please hear this. This is the way most people in our world are trying to get out from a sense of God's condemnation. Most people in our world, religious people, good people, are trying the law way. They think if they just do it well enough, if they kind of obey hard enough, if they keep it long enough, then God will one day say, okay, you're in, you're okay with me now. But it doesn't work. Rodrigo Mendoza found that out. Remember the guy I told you about in the movie, The Mission? There's this poignant scene where he tries to get rid of his old baggage. And what happens in the film is that the priest has him bundle up all the symbols and accoutrements of his own life. Swords and shields and spears. And they put it in this big net and they tie the net around his waist. And then Rodrigo Mendoza begins to try this arduous climb, climb to try to put his past behind him. He starts going up the face of a waterfall, climbing his way up with this huge baggage thing dangling down behind him. Others stand by and watch him. They don't help him. He falls once or twice. Finally, he struggles his way to the top with this huge weight of baggage behind him. He collapses on the top of the cliff, and one of the natives comes running up with a knife. Here was a man who'd been a slave trader, right? And now the native's coming, and he's going to slit his throat. But the native doesn't do that. He, he reams back, and he cuts off the baggage and pushes it down the cliff. And there's this powerful scene where the bags just tumble down. Signifying that he's free. He is somehow atoned for his past. He climbed the waterfall. He did the hard thing, and now he's free. Except he's not, because later in the movie he reverts to his old ways. See, he tried. He tried. He was sincere. He wanted to somehow atone for his past. He was going to keep the. He was going to change himself, and it didn't work because something was broken in him. And that's the way it is for everybody who tries to get out from God's condemnation by just doing it the law way. None of us do it well enough. But there is another way. There is another way. There is the cross way, not just the law way, but there's the cross way. Look at verse three. See, here's how you can really get out from underneath the load of condemnation. Verse three says this, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. God did. It's not something you do. It's something God did. God did. Well, how did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. God sent Jesus. That's a reference to the incarnation. Jesus came bearing our likeness. He looked like us. Now, he wasn't sinful, but he was in the likeness of sinful man. He took on flesh and blood. And then look what it says next. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Literally, it says for sin. Jesus came for sin, to give himself as a sacrifice for sin, to be an offering for sin. And look at the last part of verse 3. And so he, God, condemned sin in sinful man. Do you get what it's saying? It's saying, so God condemned sin in sinful man. He condemned sin when Jesus became a sin offering. Jesus took the whole weight, all that bundle of all the stuff of your past life that you feel is tethered to your waist. He took all of that weight and he didn't push it over a waterfall. He put it on the cross and all of your sins and all of your failures and all of your shortcomings were bundled up and put on the shoulders of the sinless one who became a sin offering for you. That's why verse one can say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because verse 3 says, God condemned sin in sinful man. See, the reason you are not condemned is because Jesus was condemned for you. He took your payment. He took your punishment. And that's why God can now say to you, your sins have been atoned for. Not because you scaled the cliffs of your own self-effort and you turned over a new leaf and you did it better. That's not why. No, it's because you came to the cross and you realize that all the bundle of your past could only be resolved by one way. And that's bringing it to the cross and say, Jesus, this, this is me. This is my stuff. This is my baggage. And God condemned it in Christ. See, the Bible says God is holy. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't just say, oh, that's okay. No, sin has to be punished. And it was fully and finally. But it wasn't punished in you. It was punished in Christ at the cross. See, the reason that I can tell you this morning on the basis of God's Word that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because all of your condemnation was put on Christ at the cross. See, that's the gospel message, isn't it? That is the sweetest message ever for all the Rodrigo Mendozas who are carrying around the stuff from their past and somehow thinking, if I try hard enough and if I turn this thing around... One day I'll be past my past. To all of the Rodrigo Mendoza's, the Bible says, no, you can't do that. It doesn't work. You come to the cross because at the cross, God bundles up your stuff and he puts it on Jesus. And he says, I condemn sin in Christ. And now there is no condemnation for you. You say, well, if that's true, that's wonderful. Like, what does God want from me? I mean, if he's done it all, does he want anything from me? And I would say, oh, yes, he does. He doesn't want you to pay for your sin. You can't do that. But he does want something from you. And Paul tells you what that something is in verse 4. We've worked our way through verses 1, 2, and 3. Now we come to verse 4. And here's where we see what God wants from you in response to what he's done for you. Look at verse 4, please. Into verse three says, so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Oh, here's what he wants. He wants you to live a righteous life. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to lose your luggage. I'd put it this way. You are free from God's condemnation in order to lose your luggage. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to find freedom. He wants you to get past your past. He wants you to lose your luggage. Did you notice how verse 4 begins with the words, in order that? See it? Look at it. In order that. In other words, you're not condemned. Christ was condemned in order that. That shows you the goal of why Christ was condemned in your place. That shows you God's purpose in all this. And the purpose is, in order that the righteous requirements of the law, literally in the text, it's the singular there, not righteous requirements, plural. Literally is righteous requirement, singular. And by the way, the righteous requirement, the overarching requirement of the law is holiness. So in order that holiness might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So the reason that God doesn't condemn you, that he can put your condemnation on Christ, is in order that the holiness that he wants for you might be fully realized in you. That you might lose your luggage. That I might lose my luggage. That's what he wants. See, I'd put it this way. There is freedom from the condemnation of God so that you might experience freedom from the baggage of sin. Or I could put it this way, theologically, the reason for your justification is so that you might understand and appreciate and experience sanctification. He justified you so he could sanctify you. He, there's no condemnation because he doesn't want you to live your life with all this baggage. By the way, that should help us know that God is very committed to helping you lose your luggage, and he's going to come after you and work with you to get you free. So when you hear the phrase, no condemnation, do not think that means no conviction, right? No condemnation for sin is not the same thing as no conviction for sin. God will still convict us. We'll see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. He'll convict us of sin because he wants us to get free from it. And here's another thing. No condemnation for sin does not mean no correction for sin. No, God will still correct us. Like a loving heavenly father, he disciplines us. He just doesn't disown us. He just doesn't discard us. In fact, hear this. If God is not disciplining you over your baggage, that's not a good sign. Hebrews chapter 12 says, if we are not disciplined in a fatherly way by God, then maybe we're not really one of God's children. See, God will never condemn you, but he will convict you, and he will correct you because the goal of your justification is your sanctification. The goal of getting free from his condemnation is to get free from your baggage. Now, let's summarize all of this, and let me apply it, how, you, how this helps you lose your luggage. What have we seen so far? Here's what we've seen. In Christ, there is no condemnation. You are free from God's condemnation in order that, so that, with the goal that, you will be freer and lighter when it comes to baggage. Not condemned so that you might not be controlled by the power of sin, by your past. In fact, here's the stunning truth that I want you to get today. Here's how we start applying it to the baggage. If you want to lose your luggage, the first step on the journey is to remember that you are not condemned. Let me say that again. If you want to lose your luggage, this, this may seem like I, I, you have to track with me for a minute. You may think, well, this, how's this going to help? It, trust me, it's a huge thing. If you want to lose your luggage, the first step on the journey is to go back to the cross and remember there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you want to move more towards sanctification, you need to remember your justification. Let me show you how it plays out. Let's say you're going through this week, and uh, let's say it's Tuesday, and you stumble badly spiritually. You, you, you hit a day when you just kind of fall apart, and you know, you've identified the baggage you're hoping to lose. Well, Tuesday's not a good day, and you fall into those same, same things that you've fallen into countless times before. Man, you didn't want to do it, did you? You'd set your mind, you'd pray in that morning, and then you fell flat. How are you feeling about Tuesday evening? You're feeling crummy. You're feeling condemned. Well, what do you do with that? Well, tonight, Pastor Daniel's going to talk a whole message on that, but let me tell you what Romans 8, 1 to 4 would tell you you do with that. What do you do all of a sudden? You've just got this weight of condemnation. You're almost sheepish to try to apologize to God again. I mean, how can you ask him for forgiveness again for the same thing? Where is your sincerity? And then the the evil one, the accuser of the brother, starts piling on saying, man, you are a washout. You are never going to be free. What do you do with that? Well, here's what you do. The first thing you do, we saw it last week, is you own your own luggage. You don't deny it. You don't dodge it. You don't try to distract yourself. You just say, Lord, that's my stuff again. I'm embarrassed by it. I hate it, but I did it. And you confess it to God. Okay? So that's where you start. You own your luggage. Here's the second thing. You go back to Romans 8.1. Like you make a return trip to Romans 8.1. I know your emotions aren't there. You're still feeling pretty crummy about it. But you go back to Romans 8.1 and you say this. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You hang on to the fact that because Christ took your condemnation, God does not condemn you. And you remember the fact that you are forgiven, not because of the depth of your sorrow, but because of the death of God's Son. And you remember that you are not condemned, not because you scaled some cliff of self-effort and you did it better. No, the only reason now and forever, you will ever be forgiven, is because Christ took all of your stuff and he bore it to the cross. And so you come back to Romans 8.1. And you know what you do? You preach the gospel to yourself again. Jerry Bridges, who's an author, he says, he goes around asking people this question. He goes, before you were a Christian, before you were a Christian, what message did you need to hear the most? And the answer that people always give is, well, I needed to hear the gospel. And then we go, yeah, okay, I get that. And then he asked them this question. After you became a Christian, what message do you most need to hear? And people say, well, we need to hear a message of holiness and discipleship and all these, you know, pressing on. And he says, no, that's not true. You do need to hear those things, but that's not the message you most need to hear once you become a Christian. The message you most need to hear after you become a Christian is the gospel. In fact, he said he has a friend to him, friend that tells him, Jerry, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Do you get what he's saying? Go back to Romans 8, 1, every day and say, God, I'm standing before you today, not in my righteousness, but in yours. And I'm hanging on to the fact that I'm accepted to you, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ did for me. So you go back to Romans 8, chapter 1. And you say, Well, then what do you do? Well, you own your own luggage. You go back to Romans 8.1. Then the third thing is this. By God's grace, you live by the Spirit. You live by the Spirit. That's how he ends verse 4, right? Look at verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Oh, yeah. So after you come to Romans 8.1, you do got to move to Romans 8.4. And now it's time to learn to live by the Spirit. That is such an important concept. We'll spend the rest of Romans 8 figuring out what that looks like. Next week, we'll start talking about what does it mean to live by the Spirit. And in the coming weeks, you will see that if you're going to live free, you come to the cross and then you live by the Spirit. And we're going to be talking in the next weeks on how does a person live by the Spirit so that the righteous requirement of the law, holiness, might be fully met in us so that we might lose our luggage. But today, I just want to remind you that the first stop on this journey is a stop at the cross, and we're going to come back there again and again and again. In fact, I'm asking you as an assignment to do this. Would you memorize Romans chapter 8, verse 1 this week? Would you write it on a sticky note? Would you put it on a card? Would you put it on the visor of your car? Would you put it on the mirror in your bathroom? Will you tuck it in your pocket? will you come back over and over again to say, Lord, I am so thankful that there is no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. And then if you're not yet in Christ and you're still under condemnation, can I say to you, what are you waiting for? Come to Christ, right? Come run into him. Don't try to be Rodrigo Mendoza, Herculean, your way up some cliff. Come to the cross and throw your burdens down and hear the judge of the universe say, Because you've come to my son Jesus, there is no condemnation for you now and forever. Let's pray. In this moment of silence, Would you just talk to the Lord privately? If you've never come to the cross, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you're trying to be a moral, religious, good person and thinking that's going to work, I hope today you've seen it just doesn't work. And I hope you would come to Christ and I hope you would trust in Jesus. Put the whole trust of your soul on him. And then if you're a Christian here today and you're feeling overly condemned and you know that your track record, even this past week, has been spotty at best, maybe today you just feel like if people knew your story, you wouldn't be welcome in this place. You shouldn't be in God's house. I'm here to say to you, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Oh, there may be consequences of the sin, and there may be correction, all of those things, but God will never condemn you because he condemned your sin in Christ. Would you just thank him for that? Would you just tell him how much that means to you? Let's do that. Father in heaven, we know that you see everything, so there's no use us trying to cover up and dodge the scrutiny. And yet, Lord, we also know that you see what Jesus did on our behalf. And I thank you that if we're in Christ, we will never face you as a wrath-filled judge, but only as a loving father. Seems too good to be true, but thank you that because of Jesus, it is true. And I pray that you would help us to hang on to that truth and then learn to live in it, to walk by the Spirit so that we lose our luggage. And I ask all of this to you, the one who, who has promised us no condemnation, I ask all of this in your name. Amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.